must be allowed to speak. You will bring Captain Solo and the Wookiee to me. Nevertheless, I'm taking Captain Solo and his friend. You can either profit by this or be destroyed. Lannisters don't act like fools. You gonna say something clever? Go on, say something clever. When you hear them whispering Kingslayer behind your back, doesn't it bother you? Of course it bothers me. A lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of the sheep. Welcome to the Bagland Podcast. This is Bagland DP, where we discuss politics, tech, and tangibles. If it's not about that, I don't want to hear it. We will be promoting the black-owned businesses a little bit later. Now, what you just heard was Big Boss Tywin Lannister of Casterly Rock. And notice that he's always pushing the code no matter what. Now, I want you guys to hear this. This is Richard Spencer, so-called white nationalist, on an old interview with Rigor Mortis Rowley. Listen to this. We need, Maybe. To think of our, we need to think of ourselves as a mainstream movement that's going to reach people, because we do have that power. Okay, so here's the call. Are you white nationalists? Uh, I don't use the term white nationalist. I, use the, I like the term all right, first off. And I also like the term identitarian, because it gets at what I am, what I believe. And what is that? Identity is at the heart of my ideology. So what's that identity? Yeah, I, race is a foundation of that identity, undoubtedly. Now, you, now, you know, ra- I mean, race is simply a creation of mankind. That's a construct. It doesn't exist. I mean, my who line is, I, no, I know who I am. First of all, I'm Roland Martin. I'm a man. Okay. I'm a man. Do you first. identify as a black man? No, first of all, I identify as a man. Okay. I identify as a man. I, I, I did, no, actually, it's not sexist because if a person is a woman, identifies as a woman. Okay. So I'm a man. I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Are you a Christian? Uh, I'm a cultural Christian, yeah. What the hell is that? Well, you know, I, many of us struggle with faith, but, uh, but no, I, no, I'm no, part of a Christian. You can't, call yourself, oh, uh, you can't call yourself a cultural Christian and then say, I struggle with faith. Uh, have you professed that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Uh, no, I, I, well, I have in my life. I, I don't. I mean, look, let's, is this an no, imposition no, no. on me? No, 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 it's an interview. But, but see, when somebody tells me they are Christian, and I, I again... I'm have, culturally Christian. W- what is culturally Christian? I, I grew up in a Christian background. I resonate with Christianity and so on. Okay, I'm going to ask again. Have you professed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I, I have in my life, yes. Okay, so that means that you're a Christian. So h- how is it that with what you espouse, how do you find that to be uh, compatible with Christian ideals? Most Christians throughout world history agreed with me that identity matters and that race is real and that they're part of an extended family. Well, it's it, only this, well, mi- this tiny slice of world history, like post-1965, that everyone thinks that Christianity is incompatible with identity. Well, I, I actually, do not well, Actually, that. if you, you use world history, 
There were people who actually used Christianity to justify slavery and the enslavement yeah. of people who look like me. Uh, and so, so if, why if, are you, you a Christian? Uh, why, am I, why am I a Christian? Uh, because those people actually were false Christians. Those people mm. were fake Christians. Those people probably were cultural Christians, where they somehow allowed culture to inform their faith as opposed to their faith informing their culture. But, mm. but, I, but, but I gotta ask you this. I go back to the question I asked you. For most of that, Christian history, there was feudalism, there was serfdom, there was slavery, there was right, identity, right. there was nationalism. And, and those, all of these people unchristian, but you no, are No, 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 no. Those are people who actually, uh, who chose to pimp the Bible as opposed to actually believe in exactly so what Jesus Christ all talked about. Of, most all of Christians throughout world history were pimps. No, 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 no. you no, are no, a no, true Christian. No, no, what, what I'm saying is this here. As a Christian, I believe in the Word mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to uh, this false nonsense uh, that most of those folks were. But yeah, but they, they were also fake Christians because they used the Word to actually enslave people. I'm but, so glad but, we but, reached but, true Christianity. Well, no, no, well, well, first of all, in 2016. Well, first of all, first of all, you barely identify as one. So you say you cultural, you dance around it, and I'm, I'm, being, I'm it's, being honest. It's around it. No, I got Isn't you. That a value? I got you. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. No, no, that's fine. But I still got to go back to this here. So, you, so, are you a white supremacist? No, I'm not a white supremacist. Absolutely. The white supremacy means that a white person would want to rule of, over other people. So you don't want to rule over other people? I absolutely do not. We've had white supremacy in our past. Whether you think of uh, imperialism, slavery, colonialism, that's been a disaster. So no, I don't want to go back to that. So what are you trying to go? So what are you saying? Because you, in your video you said, uh, we don't need them, they need us. Who's they? Yeah. Now when he's talking about they, he's talking about non-whites. He's being flat out honest about that. Now notice one of the things that he did when rigor mortis Roly of the dead black media when he started asking him questions, you see how evasive he was about the term white supremacist. He was very evasive of that word. He says, you know, this is more about identity. This is more about us identifying, hey, I'm white and I'm not apologizing for it. And race is a foundation. Now, the black media covered this before, but I want to play this. I wanted to play it again for y'all so y'all can really understand how detrimental we're dealing with. I want y'all to understand how dangerous the dead black media and their cyber symbols operate. Because if you ask me, hey, are you a black man? Oh, I'm telling you right away. You're asking me that question because you already know the answer. But he asked him, is he a black man? And he kept evading that. He kept evading that. He says, are you a black man? This is a stone cold white supremacist asking you, are you a black man? And he started talking about, oh, well, you know, I'm, you know, he, he didn't even really want to acknowledge that he was a black man. He immediately went to the Popeye chicken Negro spiritual energy and started pivoting to religion, religious reasoning. Then he tried to use the poverty pimp and he said, well, wh why are you a Christian then if there's so many poverty pimps? That's what he started hitting them with. He asked him, why is he a cr Christian? And it kind of caught him up for a little bit. If y'all go back and listen to it again, he's basically saying, hey, I'm a white nationalist. I'm for white folks. I'm for white privilege. I'm for benefits. Are you a black man? I'm a white supremacist. Now, I'm going to say that I'm not a white supremacist, but I am a white supremacist. Are you a black man? And the fact that he couldn't say I am black first, that says everything that we need to know. 
about the dead black media. But these are these are the Popeye chicken Negro spirit. These are the niggas that they want us to look up to. I gotta do my sound again. The Sambos of Christmas Eve. These are the Cyber Sambos. These coon niggas got platforms. They're trying to see if they could get a bag on these election campaigns. And that's why I always ride on the Popeye Chicken Negro spiritual people. Tonight, we're going to cover something very interesting. I decided to coin a new phrase called voting over reparations. So that's what the Popeye Chicken Negro spiritual people were pretty much taught us through definition and action. Vote rather than be solely concerned on reparations. So I'm going to coin it Piccaninny Plantation Politics. That's the phrase we're going to use. Piccaninny Plantation Politics. See, they've squandered all of the bread for decades. Tons of excuses on how we should do better. Pull up your pants on some Don Lemon. Don Lemon type of shit. Oh, you need to pull your pants up and that'll solve the problem. You won't get murdered by police if you pull your pants up. I'm just going to be flat out honest. Don Lemonade is a hoe ass nigga. He's been a hoe ass nigga a long time. I might be off cold for name calling, but I'm going to do it. Tons of excuses. You should do better. Pull up your pants. And clearly we have articulated that we are doing worse than the depression in the 1900s. Shout out to Dr. Claude Anderson. See, they didn't set up the youth correctly, not just financially, but that old fearful Negro. Be terrified and scared and That's what your deacon taught you. They tried to spirit up or should I say conjure down some of that Sambo of Christmas Eve, that Ebenezer Coon energy. And it's not working. And the old niggas that's about five feet away from getting in the dirt, they want you to be as terrified and cowardice as they are. But see, the descendants of the slaves, black folks, didn't they double their literacy in less than 40 years of being out of slavery? See, what they're trying to do to Ice Cube, shout out to that brother, is they're on some do as you're told, you can't talk to this person or that, uh, but you know, you should be free. You should be free to make a decision. You should be free to make a decision. That's what they're trying to do to him right now. They're basically, they're telling black folks we should be free. Nigga, you ain't free. You're not free to make a decision and go and talk to whoever you want. So they hit you with the Star Wars. They hit you with the Luke Skywalker mode. So I'm saying, no, I'm job of the hut. No mind tricks. No Jedi mind tricks tonight. No Obi-Wan Kenobi. That ain't going to work. That's why I played job of the hut. Job of the hut said no Jedi mind tricks. You're not going to use that on me. We going to bring the dark mall energy tonight. The power of the force, the code. See, Lord Vader didn't wheel and deal. Either you bow or you fall. And that's why I kind of like the dark force in Star Wars. It was very codified energy when you really think about it. See, remember when Lord Vader showed up? I think that was when the Empire Strikes Back. I'm not exactly sure. But he showed up. I talked about this before. And he wasn't pleased with the progress. He wanted results. Lord Vader had a code. 
I want y'all to think about that. Star Wars is a great example of the code. The Dark Force was a code. The Jedi was a code. But they'll hit you with some of that, oh, you do is what I say. And when you really think about the Dark Forces, it was like, okay, yeah, I could choke you out on some telekinesis shit. But I'm not getting in your head. I mean, we going hard-boiled on y'all. We just going to flat out say, hey, this is what we're on. We're on for we're on domination. We're here for our tangibles and control. And really, when you look at the dark forces, that's what they was on. As a child, I used to look at the Jedi, the Jedi and be like, oh, well, they was the good guys. And I said, well, wait a minute. They had a lot of tricks and they had a lot of, well, let me convince you to think that, let me have you think a certain way and all that. The, the dark forces would manipulate you. They'll tell you, but they're like, hey, exercise power. Richard Spencer said, are you a black man? He says, I'm trying to exercise power. I'm for the white man. Are you a black man? Well, 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 you know, Porky Pig, Rigor Mortis Roly couldn't even say he was a black man. And Don Lemon, old punk ass. Remember when Trayvon was murdered when he was down there? And I think it was Talib Kweli. There was somebody that was talking to him at one point. And Don Lemon started trying to pivot, talking about, oh, I smell. He, he said, you know, he's sniffing and shit. Talking about, well, I smell weed. He started talking about marijuana. When the issue was this was a black man that was attacked by a Hispanic white supremacist race soldier. And he was more concerned about how the weed smells. Then whenever something happens to black folks, he starts talking about, well, you know, Hey, um, it's black folks. Uh, you know, I got pulled over. I got pulled over before and I know how it feels to be a black man. You're a buck broken nigga. You were the nigga on the plantation that was busting it open, spreading your ass cheeks and enjoying it. You was that nigga. You wasn't the nigga that was being chained and being attacked and attacked and raped and was trying to avoid getting buck broken. You see, Don Lemonade wasn't the nigga that was being brutalized by the, the white supremacists and trying to avoid being sexually assaulted. This was the nigga that was going to Massa and pulling his pants down willingly. Ho ass nigga. Ice Cube called him a punk ass nigga. I second you, ho ass punk ass nigga. See, when you want to start a business, I ask this again, staying in the question mode. What support of the chicken Negro spiritual people do you get? Do they say vote and you will have access to capital and grants? Far as I can see, if you ask them, stage four cancer cures voting. The Negro spiritual people and the Rat Pack Rooster Renegades go out of their way to make excuses about our tangibles and our justice. Then I heard Diddy, he said, well, you know, we need to get Biden in to hold him accountable. No, they need to hold our account, account of our vote. Direct vote, direct benefits. I got another question. Can you go to Burger King and have it your way without dropping $7 to get that Whopper with cheese? Oh yeah, this is plantation pickaninny politics. You Negroes jump off this porch and line up. We don't got nothing for you. You ain't black. You ain't diverse. 
And we don't even want to say the word black half the time. You ain't, you're not black if you don't vote for me. Just line up. You've been lining up for, you've been lining up for 125 years. Lyndon B. Johnson said it, and I, I architected the 94 crime bill on you Negroes. You better vote and get Donald out. We gotta get immigrants and illegal aliens and prioritize over the descendants of slaves. You better vote for us. And if you don't vote, you're racist. If you don't vote for us, you know, you're, you're a bigot. You don't deserve any tangibles. Why can't you just go and get a job? Hey, hey, look at Oprah. Oprah did it. See, that that's that's that 94 crime bill talk. See, we've been subverted since 1526. The chicken Negro spiritual people won't tell you this. They said, yeah, I would have died of old. Well, what about reparations for the youth at least? Would you have died for that? The vote for what? If you're not trying to get tangibles and reparations and trying to own and control, then what are you voting for? To own and control or to go to that nice fancy white restaurant or hotel and get you a Becky? That sounds like the civil rights generation. No, just vote, get Trump out, and you know Jim Crow Joey feel sorry for that 94 crime bill. Repent, repent. No. Take that ghost count, get that conjuring Blumhouse, that Blumhouse babble. That's another word we're going to coin on the Bagland podcast tonight. Blumhouse babble. The fried chicken Negro spiritual, the conjuring, the Annabelle babble. Niggas start, I'm telling you, that coon interview, that old plantation, that old BL Bell Reverend Rat Humes energy. Your old civil rights, trouts, tramps, and trampolines always use those Negro scare tactics on you. They always try to use that old, uh, they try to use that on, on the common young bright job of the huts. And you can just hear the chicken two-piece and the biscuits crumbs dribble off their mouth on the phone. Oh yeah. I'm on my Bagland the hut, Bagland B. Wells mode. Question, so let's ruffle the bird cage. Let's dig this up like an Archaeopteryx or so. What's that? I don't know what that is. It's a prehistoric bird, nigga. Archaeopteryx. Look it up. If God is in me, why should I give the clergy a Bentley or an air jet? Let's ruffle the birdcage here. Now, speaking on the 94 crime bill, on ACLU, well, we'll have to use him for lack of a better term here. It says on June 4th, 2019 by Udi Ofer, I think I said this before about seven months ago, how the 94 crime bill fed the mass incarceration crisis. They call it a crisis. Now, it says the 94 crime bill, the 94 federal crime bill that created tough criminal sentences are uh, an insensitive in incentivize states to build more prisons and pass truth in sentencing law is getting more scrutiny during the 2020 election cycle. And listen to this. Now, defenders of the law, they deny that it created the problem of mass incarceration, a term used to describe the fact that the United States incarcerates more of its people disproportionately black than any other nation in the world. 
so the black folks if you look at that right now right off bat they use the word black black folks have been right here and this is kind of setting it up right here these are black folks that have been locked up now that's what they name first okay no 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 listen more than any other nation in the world now they argue that mass incarceration was a problem before the law passed and regardless they argue the federal government has limited jurisdiction over the problem as 90 percent of people in prison and jail are under state jurisdiction but they just said up here that it was a federal crime bill okay let's keep going so who's right it says it's true that the federal government has limited jurisdiction over mass incarceration and that incarceration rates were already high by 1994. How is that true? Let's ask this question here. Was it the state or just the federal that imposed slavery? Who maintained the black codes? Who maintained the black codes? See, we got to bring in history. It said it's true that the federal government has limited jurisdiction over mass incarceration and that incarceration rates were already high by 94. But it's also true that following passage of the federal crime bill, incarceration rates continue to climb for an additional 14 years. Notice how they're taking both sides of the argument. As Neely Fuller taught us, they're taking both sides of the argument. Anyway, the federal crime bill, it says, did not trigger mass incarceration, but it certainly encouraged mass incarceration to grow even for further. Think about that for a minute. Think about that sentence for a minute. You might have to rewind me. But then it said the 1994 crime bill was the largest crime bill in the history of the United States. So I am correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. I am correct when I made the statement that the 1994 crime bill, or should I say Jim Crow Joe's law, was the worst single bill or law that devastated black folks since the black codes. They said it's the largest crime bill in the history of the United States. When they think of crime, they think of black people. It was meant to make a statement and it did in at least two ways. First, the 94 crime bill gave the federal stamp of approval for states to pass even more tough on crime, crime uh, laws. Now, hold on. Let's go back up. Let's go back up here. It said that the federal government had limited jurisdiction over mass incarceration. But then when you go back down here, it said the 94 crime bill gave the federal stamp of approval for states to pass even more tough on crime bills. So if the federal gave more, that's like me saying, hey, look, man, I got five bands for you to start your business. I got five bands. Then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to give you another 25 bands. Now, one would say, well, you know, man, that ain't the same. That ain't the same. You know, that's something different. That's old. Hey, repent, repent. Okay, let's use the Popeye's Chicken Negro spiritual version. Okay, I just gave you five grand. Let's just say that we just gave you five grand and we didn't give you more. But let's say I gave you five grand and then turned around and said, not only are you going to get five bands, I may not give you no more bread. But I'm going to make sure that you get all the customers in every state. Does that analogy work? It said that they gave the federal stamp of approval for states to pass tough on crime laws, tough on blacks. By 94, all states 
had passed at least one mandatory minimum law, but the 94 crime bill encouraged even more punitive laws and harsher practices on the ground, including by prosecutors and police to lock up more people for longer periods of time. Second, the 94 crime bill shaped Democratic Party politics for years to come. Under the leadership of Saxophone Bill, the demonic do-nothings wanted to wrest control of crime issues from Republicans. So the two parties began a bidding war to increase penalties for crime, trying to outdo one another. So they're sitting up there. These honkies are sitting up there trying to figure out, well, how can we punish Negroes even more? Let's work. Let's try to outbid each other. Let's see who can punish Negroes more. The 94 crime bill was a key part of the Democratic strategy to show that it could be tougher on crime than Republicans. There you go. While Republicans continued their Willie Horton style thing, fear mongering to push for more punitive policies in the states, the official 96 Democratic Party platform, which was meant to provide a vision for the Democratic Party nationwide, relied heavily on the 94 crime bill to display their tough on crime credentials. An entire section in the platform is dedicated to tough punishment taking pride in the fact that the Democratic Party passed tougher sentencing laws and provided more federal funding for prisons to the states. So the demonic do-nothing Dems basically gave a bag to the states to lock niggas up. Tough on crime, law and order, like Donald J with the toupee said, same thing that Jim Crow Joe said, law and order. Well, you know what they did a crime, they should do the time. That's what the Popeye chicken, chicken Negro spiritual people say. Well, if a nigga did a crime, he should do the time. Okay, well, if you get pulled over and get your ass whipped and you ain't do no time, then that should apply to you too. So if the race soldiers pull a nigga over and beat your ass and put a bullet in your brain or less, then that means that should apply to you too. Well, I wasn't doing nothing wrong. You ain't got to do nothing wrong in the system of white supremacy. So that should apply to you too, nigga. If they beat your ass, we don't need to say nothing, right? Then the platform encouraged states to pass truth in sentencing laws, bragged about instituting the death penalty for nearly 60 more crimes, and encouraged the prosecution of young people as adults. Now, this platform remained largely in place until 12 years later, while in 2008, the tone and substance began to change under new leadership of the party. Co coincidentally, incarceration rates peaked in 2008. The right way to view the 94 crime bill is as the moment when both parties at a national level fully embraced the policies and political posturing that exasperated the mass incarceration crisis we are trying to fix today. So there you go. They both work together. Both sides of the argument. Both sides of the argument. Now, one thing, another thing I want to do too, is I want to look at both Ice Cubes and TBAs, the black media. I want to look at both of those. Now, I already read TBAs before, but I want to look at, listen, let's look at what, what Ice Cube said. See, the, the real reason why people are mad at Cube is because they're looking at it like, oh, well, you're a rapper. You shouldn't say nothing. Well, it's been a long time. You you haven't said anything in a long time, so you shouldn't say anything. But then they can get other rappers. 
when Cardi B went to talk to Jim Crow Joe, she wasn't talking about any contract with black America. They were pretty much talking about that old, oh yeah, I acknowledge, yeah, black folks is being done wrong, this, that, and the third, okay. But what's the plan? What are you trying to do? They start talking about equality and all that bullshit. As Dr. Claude Anderson told us, you cannot have equality in a race-based uh, society. It don't work. It don't work. So Ice Cube, he basically said, man, look, he, he's speaking what the common descendants of slaves is talking about. Hey, look, don't call me no POC. Don't call me no minority. Don't call me no people of color. None of that. We talking about black folks, descendants of slaves. And the platform he has, he has a right to say that he's fronted, he's a descendant of the slaves. So he could speak that. Now I'm looking at this contract that he has. And I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but it says that to address racial inequality after reading the contract with Black America. We, the undersigned, agreed to support and demand an open debate and a clear and fair vote within the first 100 days of the 117th Congress in 2021 on the following proposals to be codified in specific bills. And it says, number one, the bill to guarantee black opportunity and representation. So adopt a plan of neo-reconstruction to redress to redress wrong, uh, past wrongs systematically imposed on black Americans economically throughout many generations that has resulted in a wealth gap where the average white family has 10 times the wealth of a black family. Okay. Now, it started talking about black representation in all government civil rights bodies, civil rights classes, mandatory elementary schools, gerrymandering reform, additional polling places in black and minority neighborhoods. I don't agree with the black and minority neighborhoods, but like I said, I, I can't, like I say, I can't speak bad about this brother. I'm not gonna do it. Black lending reform, require banks to lend a percentage of loan and credit categories on an equal basis to the black population. Because when you look at what happened to the GI Bill, when white soldiers were coming home from war, they got grants. They didn't just get loans, they got grants. They got a bag to buy a home, and when black folks came home, they were stringing niggas up. They were hanging and lynching black people that came home. They seen a black man walking down the street, you know what I'm saying, and then they just kill you. Federal funding of baby bonds, uh, I'm not really gonna get into that. They start talking about Booker, Senator Booker's old, unsure-looking ass. But I ain't, you know, I, I don't think that's. I don't think you could use the baby bonds. You can't use the baby bonds now. Federal Reserve and government pensions. There's a lot of black folks that's in government. That might work. Now finance oversight. I don't know a whole lot about that. Uh. They keep talking about black and minority lending. I'm not with the minority thing. Then personal data credit. He talked about that. Prison reform. All prisoners for marijuana position free. Anybody that smokes weed and is in jail, they should be free. That really shouldn't be, um, that really shouldn't be a reason for you to be in jail. I mean, they selling weed right now. Weed is legal. So why are people locked up for it? Judicial reform, um, police reform. Now it starts talking about elimination of qualified immunity. 
requirement of mandatory malpractice insurance for police officers. Okay, they should have insurance and it should be taken from them if they do something to somebody that's black. Um, mandatory use of dashboard and body cams. We see with these body cams, people are still being harmed and killed. Elimination of the chokeholds and no knock warrants. De-escalation training. I don't think that's going to work. Severe penalties for evidence tampering, including withholding DNA. Uh, FCC licensing of public airwaves. That sounds like Dr. Claude Anderson. Um, it sounds like Dr. Claude Anderson had something to do with this. I'm pretty sure. Um, I agree with that. Confederate monuments and institutions. Um, and then education and jobs. Now, before I was talking about an executive order, just like how the Asians have and the Hispanics have got, they got an executive order. And then it says something about black responsibility. I won't get into that, but what I will do is I will go over here and I will talk about again. Thank you to the black authority. Um, reparations across the board. I've read this before and listening to the black media the other day, I heard them talk about that cubes plan was similar to this. And like they were saying, it doesn't matter who made the plan. It says reparations are not just financial. We require educational reparations to correct the crimes. America school, America schools commit against black children. We require judicial reparations for past crimes, such as the killers of Emmett Till, Trayvon. They still walk free as well as the ongoing crimes of the white supremacist court system to continue de facto chattel, chattel slavery. We require political reparations to address how a majority black area can be ruled over by confirmed white supremacist politicians. Number one, the agenda must address black people and only black people. Any discussion of addressing black people's needs must focus solely on black people. While that seems obvious, the problem is government and media have embarked on a campaign to detour all efforts to focus on black folks by diverting attention away from black people and putting it into trick words like people of color and minorities. Black society's top priority is economic empowerment. Virtually all black America's ills can be traced directly back to the lack of economic resources from education to health care to housing. Lack of money is the prime factor behind those issues. Now with the medical apartheid, I always talk about that book on Amazon prime called medical apartheid. If you're a black person, I've heard reports of black folks that have went into these hospitals and they came back out. Now that was happening before the COVID-19. So if something happens to you, you think that they're going to let you get out of there alive. If you're on your way out, you may not be provided constructive help. So it says here, there needs to be a Marshall plan for the descendants of American slaves pattern after the Marshall plan that was initiated in Japan after world war two. I agree with that. Making dismantling of systemic, this is number three, making dismantling of systemic white supremacy public policy. The tradition of America is to practice white supremacy while pretending that white supremacy doesn't exist. Remember when Rigor Mortis Rowley of the dead black media was interviewing Richard Spencer, he asked Richard Spencer, are you a white supremacist? And Richard Spencer starts saying, well, that's old. That don't exist anymore. I'm a, uh, I'm the alt-right. Well, now that he dropped it and now he's endorsing Jim Crow Joe, that says a lot. You dig? 
so it says here um let's go to number four white supremacists and police violence is a human rights violation see when china or countries in the middle east is number four when china or countries in the middle east have police execute people based on their race ethnicity or political ideology the united states calls those human rights violations and the united states has invaded countries for that offense america didn't listen to excuses from these governments as to why it was acceptable the united states need to be held to the same standards America has been using police to terrorize and execute black people with the support of the racist district attorneys and judges in order to sustain systemic white supremacy. When you have systemic racial practices, it demands systemic remedies. Now, when you look at what happened to Breonna Taylor, you have a coon ass district attorney and he's upholding it. He's minding the store. He's minding the store. And then you have all these Democrats down there that ain't doing anything to, to man. It's been months. It's been what about a year? It's been about a year. Still no justice for Brianna. And here's another thing I want to add too. I don't think I brought this up, but my thing is if, if Brianna Taylor if she was in the medical field and she was a first responder, hold on, let, let me look up and see. I want to be correct. I want to be correct. She was unarmed. Hold on. So she was a full time ER technician and a former emergency medical technician. Now her funeral, they said was on March 21st. I mean, man, it's October right now. These dudes should be charged with first degree murder. Everybody, everybody involved in that case, district attorney, the judge, everybody that was involved in that church should, in that, in that case should be charged with first degree murder and second degree murder at least this sister was an er technician she was helping people in the medical field that's another thing i was gonna say black folks that are out here saving lives that have to do with the medical field if they're assaulted or if they're harmed or if they are killed by a race soldier that should be an additional see in california in south central they got gang injunction laws there should be a race soldier gang injunction law where if you happen to be a white supremacist and you harm a, a black person that's in a health you know th that has a health job they should tack on another 35 years off top off top off top which means you getting 35 you getting 35 out the gate before you even get your first degree you get 35 out the gate before you get your first degree none of this hugging the judge and hugging you know amber geiger and all that old coon plantation that picking any plantation behavior none of that you getting 35 out the gate straight up number five schools can no longer be weaponized against black children 
Schools, both public and private, operate on a standard practice of targeting black children from as early as Head Start to remove them from the classrooms. The typical strategy is to claim the child as a learning disability or as a disciplinary problem, and there are only three solutions to the problem. Put the child in special education to handicap his learning, put him on psychotropic drugs to alter his brain chemistry, or have him suspended from school and even arrested. Number six, remove the prisons, monuments, and physical institution of white supremacy. Now, Cube had that in his plan. You could tell him, you could tell that he took this from here. That's dope. Good. Uh, you already know about that. Number seven, 20% of public and private contracts should be reserved for black businesses. America has done business strictly along ethnic lines. It has embarked on a sustained campaign of bombing black business districts like the various black Wall Streets, as well as using racial regulations to target black businesses today for destruction. All of this is done to protect white businesses and preserve white economic privilege. Cities contracts, municipal bonds, equity stakes in these private companies, tax credits and or exemptions from tax owed, land grants and set-asides, 0% financing as well as direct cash disbursements are all suitable methods of addressing these debts. The U.S. government was able to instantly agree to allocate $10 trillion to deal with the Chinese coronavirus, I mean COVID-19. It did not require a study, a commission, or a vote from the general population. It was done because it was deemed necessary. And it's an insult to tell black people that all of a sudden, all types of examinations and delays are needed before we can be given what a virus was given without a thought. This is the reparations across the board by the black media that I'm reading. I want to talk about something else that's very interesting. There was an article that came out from CNBC.com. How employee ratings can push companies on diversity and inclusion. I had a friend of mine that sent this to me. Now, I was really skeptical, but I said, well, let's take a look. Let's take a look. Now, the article said here by Cameron Gilchrist, as major businesses and institutions pledge to double down on their diversity and inclusion agendas in the wake of international protests against systemic racism, it's, beco it's becoming easier for employees to rate their company's efforts. Job site Glassdoor has unveiled a new tool allowing workers to rate their satisfaction with current or former employees' diversity and inclusion policies and on a scale of zero to five. It bolsters the site's five existing employee feedback metrics. Now let me name them. Career opportunities, compensation and benefits, culture and value, senior management and work-life balance. Now, you notice when they started talking about diversity and inclusion in the wake of international protests against systemic racism, they did not use the word black, of course. Let's continue. The update adds a numerical value to existing user comments, and it is designed to empower employees by giving them a collective voice. Glassdoor CEO Christian Sutherland Wong told, in, uh, told CNBC Make It, quote, job seekers and employees today really care about e equity and 
for too long, they've lacked access to the information needed to make informed decisions about the companies that are or are not truly inclusive. He said, we have a responsibility as a platform and employer to bridge the information gap. Now it says here, now, 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 now notice that here comes the trick words. The economic fallout from the pandemic has unearthed disproportionate hardships for minority workers. Listen to the word minority. Here goes the trick language. In addition, the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, whose deaths followed, or should I say murders followed, that of other black people killed by police brutality. Let me rephrase that. Domestic terror ambush lynchings have again shown the spotlight on deep-rooted racial injustices in society. Deep-seated racial injustices in society. How about it? Deep-seated white supremacists in society. Let me clear that up real quick. Did you notice how they started talking about minorities? They still haven't said the word black. Did anybody notice that? But then they use George Floyd and Breonna Taylor talking about Breonna Taylor's deaths. I say murders. They said police brutality. I say domestic terror ambush lynchings. You see the difference? Don't it sound better? Sounds like it has more definition. Let's keep going. Since in the year of our Lord, June 2020, Jobs Marketplace ZipRecruiter has seen a five-fold spike in job seeker searches for the term diversity. There's another trick word. Related job postings have similarly risen further this year. In August, a Glassdoor survey conducted by the Harris Poll found that three quarters, which is 76% of job seekers and employees say having a diverse workforce is an important factor for them when evaluating companies and job offers. In the same study, nearly one in three, which is 32%, said they would not apply for a job at a company with a lack of diversity among its workforce. A figure that was higher for black workers, 41%. So let's go all the way back up. And it started talking about systemic racism. All right. Then it started talking about collective voice. Then it started talking about truly inclusive. Bridge the information gap. Disproportionate hardships for minority workers. The killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor racial injustice, diversity, lack of diversity, and then finally black. I, I, I'm, I just wanna, I just wanna inform you guys on how the wording works. Listen to the words, as Neely Fuller said, listen to the words. This isn't something that they're doing by accident. The figure they said was higher for black workers, 41%. So they're saying 41% for black workers, but they're not naming black at the very beginning of the sentence. They keep saying disproportionate. So they're saying again, black folks are being mistreated, but we don't really want to use the word black. So that gives us the piggy bank, the pig, that gives us the piggyback to start having other weasel words and stealth words so other people can reap the benefit. 
Now it said that heightened attention has prompted many employers to announce their new diversity and inclusion initiatives. So BlackRock, Microsoft, Target are among the major companies to promise greater hire of minority employees there we go again minority employees they didn't say black they say you niggas are getting murdered you niggas are getting lynched y'all are dying from the COVID-19 but we won't say the word black but we could use Breonna Taylor and George Floyd's work names elsewhere California last week signed a new law requiring all publicly traded companies headquartered in the state to have at least one diverse board member and Japan's top business lobby set a goal to increase female leadership to 40 percent by 2030 did you hear that female leadership they didn't say black they could say oh women minority so you could be a dude and say hey my name is Karen now. I just had a transgender operation. I'm a woman. And they can hire that nigga. And black folks is left out. Holding companies accountable. There goes the accountable word. However, understanding how such metrics translate into company culture is not always easy. That's an excuse right there. When they start talking about how easy and what they can't do, they're, they're making excuses. They're making excuses. Now listen to this. ZipRecruiter's labor economist, Julia Polak, said it remains challenging for job seekers to evaluate diversity and inclusion policies based on company data alone because many of the companies that are most vocal about the topic have the least demographically representative workforces. So in so many words, all these people talking about equal equality, diversity, diversity and inclusion, they ain't got no niggas working in no high places. They ain't got no niggas over there ma making the bag. I'm gonna say something and it might get me taken off the network. I'm gonna be very honest. When they start talking about diversity and inclusion, they're going to hire people from the LGBT and white women first. And if that's not true, then how does it remain so challenging? Because they say the people that are the most vocal about the topic have the least demographically representative workforces. If they have a diversity and inclusion program and they say, well, we, 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 we supply women contracts, um, you know, women contracts and, uh, minority owned and, and then you look up and they got the LGBT program, but you don't got no black folks up in there. What does that say? Indeed, according to Glassdoor survey, two thirds, which is 66% of employees and job seekers say they trust employees the most when it comes to understanding what diversity and inclusion really looks like at a company. That's well ahead of senior leaders, which is 19%, the company's website, 9%, and recruiters, 6%. Improving company culture. I'ma let y'all check this out. I'm gonna let y'all check this out. Um, look on sin. Oh, I'm sorry. CNBC.com. The title was how employee ratings can push companies on diversity and inclusion. Then I seen another article. I think this was posted on Q's page called Bloomberg. Well, Rikers out in Bloomberg. 
black homeowners pay $13,000 more on their mortgages, study says. Black borrowers, black borrowers pay $13,000, $464 more over the life of a home loan with interest, mortgage insurance and tax expenses higher than their white counterparts, further hurting black folks ability to save for retirement. According to a new study, the biggest reason for the gap is the risk based pricing found in us mortgages, which disadvantage black borrowers because they tend to make smaller down payments and have lower credit scores, says the report's authors who include Ed Golding, former head of the federal housing administration. The lower down payment also results in more black homeowners paying mortgage insurance to researchers found. The study intentionally didn't control for factors such as income disparities to show the difficulties black people face due to historical disadvantages, said Golding, which now teaches at the at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Risk-based pricing in mortgage lending, overwhelmingly backed by government-sponsored housing finance agencies, is a policy choice that can be changed if lawmakers want to help close the gap in black white home ownership he said now this is what he said let's own the entire difference it's really expensive to be poor in this country which is true i agree golding said in an interview risk-based pricing is a relatively new phenomenon of the last 20 years if we could pass laws to disallow risk-based pricing in healthcare, forcing insurers to take on people with existing conditions we could do it for housing and finance too that's true I'm not going to read the whole article. It's not much, but go to Bloomberg wealth, black homeowners pay $13,000, $464 more on their mortgages studies say. So we're being attacked on all fronts from the medical standpoint, from the financial standpoint, from the religious and cultural standpoint. And you got Jim Crow Joe talking about, Hey, let's talk about, uh, let's do this during Let's do this after the election. Let's do this after the election. No, we're not going to do this after the election. We're not doing this after the election. We're going to do this right away. We're not going to do this after the election. We're going to get a guaranteed tangible for our vote. Or down to Jay with the toupee will be back in office another four years and we'll do this in 2024. And that's it. I got black labor, white wealth. Shout out to the God of reparations. Not just an elder, but an icon. Dr. Claude Anderson, man. Shout out to my homie, Yay Yiz. Whenever I think about Dr. Claude Anderson's teachings, I always think about, I said, man, I ought to hit the homie up, see where his readings is at. It's a lot to decipher, but it's, it's, it's an easy read. And you could tell he loves black folks. I always big up Dr. Claude Anderson because my economic knowledge will be nothing without him. You know what I'm saying? And you know, I know that the Breakfast Club did an interview with Dr. Claude Anderson through Zoom. And you know what? For what is worth, for what is worth, I got to give Charlemagne some kudos for getting Dr. Claude Anderson on there. 
you know, for what it's worth. Now, this book right here, I, I ordered, I went to powernomics.com and I ordered the entire pack for a hundred bucks. We got to get flowers while it's due. Black Labor, White Wealth, The Search for Economic, The Search for Power and Economic Justice by Dr. Claude Anderson. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to listen to that Breakfast Club interview the rest of that tonight. You know, every time that I listen to Dr. Claude Anderson, you know, um, I get a lot more insight. So what I want to do is I want to look at some tangible and measurable results and ask some questions. I went on this website. I happened to just look, look at it. But before, before we get into that real quick, I got some new breaking news that I want to talk about real quick. Now, this is what we're dealing with. Now this, this didn't hit the mainstream media. I found this out on the black media. It, it was just a real quick newsletter that if you really don't look at some of these uh, city websites, the Lafayette police department released a report on, on October 17th. And it says late Friday evening, the Lafayette police department was tagged in a tweet on our official Twitter page. It contained information specifically identifying a recruit officer, Joseph Zacharek, as a person who participated in a neo-Nazi internet chat forum known as the Iron March in 2016. Our internal affairs division opened an immediate investigation to determine, to determine if this report was credible. Now you notice they didn't use the word grievance or complaint. They said report. The investigation has determined that Zacharek did participate in this online forum and that the information that was provided to LPD was accurate and credible. Now, Officer Zacharek's comments were not in harmony with the spirit of cooperation and inclusion in the community that the Lafayette Police Department values. Officer Zacharek was hired in June 2020 and to this point has been working solely in a training environment and has no exposure to the public. As a result of the investigation, Officer Zacharek's employment with the Lafayette Police Department has been terminated. The Lafayette Police Department conducts very thorough and complete background investigations on all potential employees, which includes a complete review of personal social media accounts. While this information may not have been accessible through our investigative, through, while this information may may not have been accessible accessible through our investigative processes, we are appreciative that it was brought to our attention. I don't believe that, but we take pride in our investigations and are extremely disappointed that we were not able to uncover this information in that process. We endeavor to learn from this investigation to ensure it never happens again and see what the reparations package includes and should include people. The reparations package should include if you are a police officer, which in fact, we find out you're a race soldier and your social media shows that you are engaged in this, the penalty, they should make them sign like a waiver. The penalty should be like an automatic five years because what you're doing is 
you're endeavoring in domestic terror ambush lynching. You're somebody that can be attacked. You could, you could be somebody that attacks a black person on the force and you join the force to do solely that just like the executioners down there in Compton PD and the badge benders out there in Vallejo in Vallejo, California. See your Popeye chicken, Negro spiritual people and your rooster renegades. They don't ever bring that up. And that, that ladies and gentlemen is Piccadilly plantation politics. Piccadilly plantation politics. So let's go back here to financialsamurai.com. They said the average net worth and income for black folks, despite the global pandemic and tens of millions of unemployed people, unemployed in America as a result, the one good thing to come out of 2020 is the increased awareness of the injustices of racism black folks face. Now, when they say awareness, increased awareness, people are aware. They're aware, man. They know what's going on. So we don't need to get into that. I was telling one of my homies the other day, or maybe a couple months back, and he was talking about like black folks on the job or white folks on the job that said they don't know. And I had to like text bro. I was like, man, fam, they know, man. But anyway, unfortunately, the average net worth and average income for black folks remains below most racial groups. Now, look at this here. As of 2020, black folks account for 17% of the population. And then below it says there's a detailed racial breakdown on the Census Bureau from 2010 to 2000. As you can see, the percentage of black folks has grown by almost 5% since the year of our Lord 2010. Now, okay, I'm looking at the population. Okay, let's look at the net worth. According to the Urban Institute, the average net worth of black folks is 19 grand, which is compared to 130 bands for white folks, 12 bands for Hispanics. So now let's look at the Economic Policy Institute data for median and average wealth for whites and blacks. The average wealth for black folks is 95 bands and the median wealth for, um, for black folks is 11, 11 grand. So the level, okay, the average wealth for black folks is 95 bands and the median wealth is only 11 bands. So the average and the median is different. Now the average income for black folks, they said, let's look at the income by race data provided by the Census Bureau. The average income for black folks is 38 bands. The average income for Hispanics is 45 bands which correlates with the retirement savings by race chart and wealth charts. Asian household income leads the way at roughly 30% higher than white folks, which is their median household income. The 100% difference between the highest average income, which is 78 bands, and the lowest average income, 38 bands, is significant. What is going on? So they said the racial makeup of personal finance readers they said, what's interesting to note is that based on my survey of roughly 3,000 leaders, I mean 3,000 readers of Financial Samurai, one of the largest personal finance sites in the world with over 1.5 million page 
views a month, there is roughly, and these are the numbers, a 30% over-representation of Asian readers, a 5.3% over-representation of black readers, 11.3% uh, over-representation of Hispanic readers, a 15.0% over-representation of white readers. Now these sources that I'm looking at, one source here, Wall Street Journal. All right, let's see here. Let me take a look here. I know y'all like, man, fuck what he talking about, man. This music's dope. <laughs> Bagland DP, you can, just, you can just stay muted for a little while. Okay, let me go to the other site. All right. Before we get out of here, you guys, I want to talk about Linux. I was on a phone call today and a biomedical company had reached out to me because they were interested in my services. So basically I was giving them, you know, kind of the spiel like, okay, I haven't really touched Linux real heavily for a while. So I'm a little rusty but I am interested in it. Okay. And when I was teaching the Microsoft technology associate class, you know, I told people you might want to consider getting into Linux here and there. All right. And the reason why when I was working doing six tricks administration and when I was working doing desktop support and migrations, a lot of times what I would do is I would hear guys that would say, well, you know, I don't really like dealing with Linux. Whenever I would talk to like six engineers and system engineers, they would always tell me, well, man, you know, I don't really like dealing with it. And I always ask them why it seems like when I worked in those positions that I asked those guys, I say, Hey, you know, about networking and Cisco and all that and Linux. When I asked them about this, their nose is kind of turned up a little bit. Like they was like, uh, I don't really want to deal with that, man. They didn't even want to have the conversation. And I think they might've had a bad experience or something. And I think what happened is, is people got turned off by maybe networking or Linux. And I said, well, how much do you really, really need to know in order to be able to do it? And like I, like I said before with six tricks, you got, you want to kind of have a server background. Now, when I say a server background, you don't necessarily have to be a, uh, a system administrator for many, many years. It's just, you got to have some type of understanding of how it works. And this is the reason why that server 2008 server 2012, especially, um, server 2016, more people have adopted 2016 by now, especially when they're using AWS or Azure. 2008 and I'm, I'm not going to try to go too deep into it, but windows server 2008, that's kind of like a thing of the past. It's kind of like, if you say, well, yeah, man, I'm thinking about going out and get me a 2008 car. Well, I mean, you can, but I mean, it's a little outdated right now. You know what I'm saying? Like if you get something newer, you might as well go way back and get you a time machine. Get you a time machine. So the nice thing about Linux is 
if you look at a lot of your smartphones and if you look at a lot of um for example if you look at apple mac if you look at apple i kind of miss my apple mac it's based off unix unix and linux is pretty much the same thing okay now linux if you learn how to use linux you could be very very powerful out here and some people try to get you to consider the CompTIA Linux Plus. Which probably costs an arm and a leg and it's all this extra studying you got to do. I mean, I say go to the Linux Professional Institute. I say go to that. Because, you know, you could get the Linux essential certification which is a lifetime certification for about i think it's 150 bucks and the current version is the exam code 010-160 and i'm going to read the objectives there's no prerequisites the validity period is a lifetime period okay and you could go to the view test centers to obtain, um, to take the exam. Now with the exam, let's, let's look at the, how much the voucher is. I'll we'll tell you exactly how much it is. It's $120. It's $120. Okay. Now. All right. Let's go into the objectives. Now here's the objectives. Here's the objectives. So the first topic is the Linux community and career open source. So it's going to want to know the knowledge areas such as distributions, embedded systems, Linux in the cloud, Debian, Ubuntu, CentOS, Linux, Mint, uh, Raspberry Pi. Uh, I think it would be really dope for some of you techies out there to consider the Raspberry Pi. You could load some dope ass emulators. You got to get your Super Mario Kart. You got to get your... Um, your Mike Tyson's punch out so you can knock Don Flamingo's ass out. I never like fighting Don Flamingo. He come out there with that little rose and he be dancing left to right. Now I'd knock his ass straight out. I'm about to download that emulator tonight. Anyway, I digress. Android. That's some of the, uh, the way that they call it is the following is a partial list of the used terms and utilities. Then there's major open source applications. Um, they talk about desktop apps, server apps, development, development languages, packet management tools and repositories, um, open source software and licensing, ICT skills and working in Linux. So they start talking about industry uses of Linux and cloud computing and virtualization, um, finding your way on a Linux system, such as the command line basics, basic shell, command line syntax, variables, quoting. It's scary at first. I'm going to tell you guys, when I was taking my cybersecurity degree classes, I was like, man, the hell with this class. I was BSing and bullshitting until I decided to take it seriously, like towards the end of the class. I used to be one of them students where it'd be a project or a final. And the final was due maybe like a week or two before class. And I started the last damn week. You know, procrastination is the thief of time. 
Did you hear me? Procrastination is the thief of time. And I procrastinate my ass off in school, but I do the final last week and knock that shit out. I don't know why I used to do that. I used to do that as a kid. So, you know, it's, it's not recommended, not at all, but I took a Linux class and I didn't really pay it too much mind. I was bullshitting through the class and towards the very, very end, that's when I got the concept. So I say practice, practice, practice on your virtual machine. Go ahead and go to Azure, go, go, go get you an Azure account or go get you a free AWS account and just start playing around with it. So some of the partial lists and the terms that they're using is bash, echo, history, path, environment, variable, expert uh, type, um, using the command line to get help, using directories and listing files, creating, moving and deleting files, archiving files on the command line, searching and extracting data, turning command lines into a script, choosing an operating system, understanding the hardware, where data is stored, Linux on the network, I'm telling y'all, y'all should consider, let me see if I can find, because one thing about Linux, man, is Linux, they provide you with a lot of different information about where you could get free training. So let's see if I can find you some free training. Hold on. This is on Reddit. Okay, let me see. Udemy has some stuff. Um... I'm not going to recommend any books. I'm not. I'm not going to recommend any books because they're super, super long. I, I'd rather say, just, you know, do the hands-on. Do the hands-on. All right, y'all. I'm going to get up out of here. Um, I appreciate everybody tonight checking out the Bagland podcast. Hold on. Wait a minute. We didn't do our black-owned businesses. I may have to put some music in here again. Shouting out our black owned businesses, uh, Phil Solomon restorations, LLC wall repair, toilet installation, cabinets, doors, sinks, painting, carpentry, call 612-298-9852. Email Phil Solomon restoration at outlook.com. He's looking for some black Americans for cleaning work. 15 uh, hours to 20 hours per week. $15 an hour. Start time 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. Also offering limo services and looking for truck drivers. Looking for experienced um, drivers. CDL is not required. $20 an hour is starting. Go to www.accelerateclasses.com to get your Excel, Python, Data Science, SQL, Aura, Coding, HTML, CSS, Boot Camps. That's www.accelerateclasses.com. Excellent black-owned Atlanta business. Go to centerfiretacticalgear.com to get your polls. You know, you might want to get your tactical gear, get your poles ready. Go to Redstone Firearms. They're out of California. They do excellent services and training. Go to www.onpointarmsllc.com to get your firearms. You're going to need them. Go to www.itmasterkey.com to get your online IT certifications. Go to www.puzzlehuddle.com. That's a black-owned puzzle business. Go to www.iwantamask.com to get your KN95 compliant mask. And go to www.thesafetypouch.com. This allows you to keep your wallet in no reaching distance if the race soldiers pull you over. And this will conclude tonight for your Piccaninny Plantation Politics.